Well, good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had in singing tonight. I pray that you would bless now the effort to preach your word, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be. I think most of you know that, I think all of you know really, that uh, my family, my immediate family lives in Oklahoma City. And my brother uh, works for a company there in the area. And because of his position, because of his title, whatever it is, he's got a a region or an area that he has to cover uh, that spans a few different states. And so it's kind of become his habit in the last couple of months for him to call me while he's driving down the road. And so a few weeks ago, he called me, and I, of course, answered the phone. We began to talk, and as we were talking, I said, so where are you headed today? He told me where he was headed, and so kind of a follow-up question with that, uh, because trying to make conversation, things of that nature. Follow-up question to that was, is this just a normal visit? Or do you have things you have to take care of? And here's what he said to me. I got to go out there and interview a couple of ladies who are fighting with each other. I said, do what? He said, yep, I got to go out there. I've got to take statements. There are two ladies who are fussing with each other. And I got to see if I can help resolve the issue. As he was talking... This became fairly clear. He was not thrilled about the trip he was having to make or the nature of it. You could almost sense in his voice that his life would be a whole lot easier if these grown-up ladies would act like grown-up ladies. So there was some frustration in his voice. There was a little bit of irritation in his tone that he was having to make another road trip for nothing more than some ladies who couldn't get along. Now, I know that some of you understand this. I'm just going to go ahead and say this, though. But these ladies, whoever they are, whatever it was they were fussing about, I have no idea. But these ladies had no concern whatsoever for the frustration she was causing my brother and what he was having to deal with. It didn't change the fact he still had to deal with it, but you could be sure that those ladies were not worried about his road trip, his change of plans, his hours away, his overnight stay. They were not worried about it because they were concerned only with themselves. Now, this evening, if I were to ask you how many of you have ever had personnel issues in your life, I think most of you would say something like this, uh, yeah, definitely had some personnel issues over the years, right? And it can stem from any number of areas, can it not? Apparently it can't. Help me out, at least nod the head. Wherever these personnel issues arise, it really could arise over any number of issues, couldn't it? 
And whenever you have to deal with personnel issues, especially over the petty issues, the ignorant issues, the ridiculous issues, I would suspect you have thought to yourself more than once, life would be so much easier if these people would just act the way they ought to act. Just grow up and do your job, do what needs to be done. But you know what? They're not a bit worried about you. They don't care. Let you be frustrated. Let you be dis, you know, disheartened by their actions. Let you be upset. Doesn't bother them. They're going to keep doing what it is they're doing that has caused whatever problems have been caused. You may say, well, Brother Kyle, I've never had personnel issues. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. You ever raised kids? Most of us have. What do those kids know how to do? They know how to cause some issues in the house, don't they? And there have been times the parents have said to themselves and maybe verbally to those kids, you know, you're pushing daddy's buttons right now. You're pushing mama's buttons right now, and I just need you to do what I've told you to do and stop acting the way you're acting. And truth be told, those kids aren't real concerned with your feelings at that moment. You might wish they were, but unless they've really been broken, they're just looking at you like, what's wrong with you? even though it might be dependent upon their actions. You understand this principle that I'm getting at? Issues arise. It'd be so much easier if the people would just deal with it themselves, but they don't. And they're not worried about anyone else, especially the ones who have to address it, who have to deal with it. Now, this evening, as we get into our text, I want to remind us of some context. It's not something that I've done very often throughout this study of Paul's second letter to the believers of Corinth. But I want us to be reminded of this, that as Paul wrote his first letter to the believers of Corinth, the church was an absolute mess. The church had division, the church had strife, the church had, had this, this argument going based on who was the best leader in the minds of different believers there in the church. And they had the sin of immorality, they had the sin of overlooking it, the sin of selfishness. There, there were just so many things prevalent in the church that the Apostle Paul had to address. As you look in verse number 5, we see this. That Paul said, for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. And so what Paul is saying is this, is that he was in turmoil and, and there was an escape of rest and a lack of peace or tranquility. And he says, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. So what was the Apostle Paul dealing with at this time in his ministry? He was dealing with, he said, on the outside fightings, and on the inside he was wrestling with his own fears. I don't know about you, but I do find it somewhat comforting that the Apostle Paul admitted he wrestled with his own fears sometimes. 
It was the Apostle Paul who admitted that he wrestled with his thoughts, that he wrestled with his mind, that he wrestled with his feelings and his emotions. And so the Apostle Paul, in this stage of ministry, he is going through a very difficult time. The circumstances going on around him that he had no control over, but his own spirit and his own mind being restless because of his fears. And then he had to write this letter to the believers of Corinth. He had to address the division. He had to address the strife. He had to address the immorality. He had to address the selfishness. He had to address the chaos in the church services. So many things that had to be addressed. Look at what he said in verse number 8. He said, For though I made you sorry with the letter... I do not repent. What that means, though, or what that means basically is this, is I'm not sorry that I wrote the letter, but he said there, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. I want us to see this in verse number 8, that he says that as a result of writing the letter, that though he was not sorry he wrote it, He was sorry he wrote it. It's kind of like this. The Apostle Paul admits he labored over that letter. This was not a letter he wanted to write. This was a letter he did not want to send. This was a letter he did not want to pen. And I think if you and I have ever been in a situation like that, we understand the inner turmoil that that can cause. Do we not? Have you ever sat in front of a computer screen and you knew you had to type that email and, and you just looked over it and you just read it again and again and again and you poured over it and, and you asked yourself, is that the right way to say it? Is that the right way to communicate it? Maybe you felt that way with the text before. Obviously, this is not the, the way of correspondence for the Apostle Paul, but it's that same idea. This is not easy for me to write. This is not enjoyable for me to write. I don't know how they're going to receive this. I don't know what their response is going to be. And yet, whenever the Apostle Paul finished that letter, whenever it came to a conclusion, and he sent Titus with the letter to the believers of Corinth, there was no going back at that point. It was a done deal. Again, it's kind of like when you click send. There's no retrieving it at that point. It's done. At that point, the Apostle Paul could only do one thing. All he could do was wait. Again, what will their response be? How are they going to receive this? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? When Titus returns, what will his his report be? And so, again, there seems to be this agony in the mind of the Apostle Paul. This, this wrestling with his fears. What is going to be the response of these believers that I have invested in, that I have poured my heart into? See, the reality of it was this, that with everything that was going on in the church, they could have received the the letter from the Apostle Paul and them said, who cares? The Apostle Paul's not our boss. 
What's it matter what the Apostle Paul thinks? We've got new leaders in place, and, and we've got new men who are taking the lead, and, and we're following them now. The response could have been anything. But notice what it says in verse number 7. Actually, go up to verse number 6. Paul says that without were the fightings, within were the fears. He says, nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So what is Paul saying in verse number 6? He is saying this, that whenever Titus came back and gave a report as to how the church responded to this letter and the instruction that was given, whenever Titus came back with that report, Paul said that he was comforted by the coming of Titus. And he said, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you or through you, when he told us, your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he is saying this, I was comforted by what Titus shared with me. He said, your earnest desire, your mourning, and your fervent mind toward me. Then notice in verse number 9 what he said, now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. You know what the letter produced in the lives of the believers as a general rule? From a corporate perspective, you know what the letter produced? It produced repentance. Though it was harsh, though it was direct, though it was blunt, though it did not concern itself with the feelings of the members, though it was very pointed at times to, to certain people in certain situations, here is what the letter did. It produced repentance in the lives of the believers of Corinth. I think most of us know what repentance is, don't we? Repentance is when someone has a change of mind toward their actions, and as a result of the change of mind, it changes their actions. And so Paul is saying, listen, as a result of this letter that I sent, though I was sorry for it, and though there was a part of me that wrestled with the idea as to whether or not I should send it, whenever I got the report back from Titus as to how you received him and you comforted him, and how you longed toward me and for me and, and your mourning, whenever I learned of your repentance, here is what it did. It not only comforted me, but notice what else he said in verse number 7. And I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I want us to see this. He said, not only did your repentance encourage me, he said, so that I rejoiced the more. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying there? In light of your sorrow, in light of your mourning, in light of your repentance... You know what I could not help but do? I could not help but rejoice. 
It brought about exceeding gladness in my life. It was exactly what I needed at that point in my ministry. With everything that was going on around me, with everything that I was wrestling with internally, all of my fears, all of my concerns, maybe his insecurities, whatever it was he was wrestling with, here is what Paul said. When I found out how you responded to that correction, Man, I could not help but rejoice. Are we listening to this tonight? Your response, Paul said, of genuine repentance, which resulted in a change of action, so blessed me so encouraged me, so helped me, that I could not help but exceedingly rejoice and be glad. As you think about that thought, as you think about Paul's words to the believers of Corinth, I want us to think about something tonight. This may feel like an old principle. This may feel like something that doesn't need to be said or doesn't need to be done. But I want us to think about this tonight. That you and I do not have to be members of a very large church to see serious problems exist within the body of that believer or in the, or in the body of believers. Does that make sense? To say it again, to make sure that I'm clear on this, we don't have to be members of a large church to recognize that there are a lot of issues of a serious nature plaguing the lives of so many individuals. I'm going to touch on just a few things this evening. I'd ask you to be patient with me. Will we do that? All right. I'm going to touch on a few things this evening that are just observations on my part that I think would not only be observations that I have made, I think many have made these same observations, but they need to be talked about once more. Something I am aware of Something that I am mindful of is this, is that not everyone in a church who claims to be a child of God really, genuinely, truly cares about their personal walk with Jesus Christ. Did you know that? They wouldn't necessarily admit it. They wouldn't necessarily confess to it. But if you could get them to just be honest for a moment, what you would realize is this, is that a lot of people in churches, they don't really care about their personal walk with the Lord. If you looked at the effort, if you looked at the attention, if you looked at their drive, to be the, the individual that God has called them to be, you would realize 
There's not any attention given to it. There's not much of a drive for it. They, they just kind of go through the motions of their so-called Christian life. Can I just be honest and tell you that though the specifics are different, that is a problem that is crippling the church today as much as any sin was crippling the church in Corinth The apathy to the things of God in today's church, it really is overwhelming. It's not just that, though. Observation causes you to conclude this, and all this would be connected to the point I just made. But all you've got to do is look, and here's what you realize so many homes represented in the church are just a mess. Somebody says, Brother Kyle, this is old thought. This is, this is so unoriginal. Consider it, though. So many marriages and so many homes within the walls of the church are as messed up and as dysfunctional as anything you'll find outside the walls of the church. Friends, that is a problem plaguing the churches today. You realize this with just a few Moments of observation. The vices and the addictions that impact the lives of so many others impact the lives of so many of God's people. I understand everyone has struggles. I understand everyone has issues but you really do realize, if you begin to, to look and you really do begin to observe, you really, you really begin to see that, that people aren't even fighting these addictions and these vices as they once used to. They've just kind of given up to them. So if they continue to look at it, if they continue to watch it, if they continue to take it in in whatever form or whatever fashion it may be, it's just something that's just a part of who they are these days. And it's tearing apart the church. We look at so many issues that are plaguing society. You know where they also have great prevalence at? They have great prevalence inside the house of God. What people who identify themselves as atheists or, or just spiritual people, what they are struggling with, what they're wrestling with, what they're dealing with, the exact same problems are are present in the church. And somebody says, well, right, because we're not perfect. But, but what I'm saying is this, is it ought to look a little bit different in here than it looks out there. 
there should be some kind of noticeable difference in the lives of God's people who attend church on a regular basis, who would, who would identify themselves as believers over how people outside the church live. But I'm just telling you, for so many, there's not a nickel's worth of difference between the outside world and the so-called saved world. And friends, that's a problem in our culture today. And I don't know if any of you think I'm, I'm being too hard on us. I think I'm just being honest with us. The spiritual drive of so many people is non-existent. It's tearing apart homes. It's tearing apart marriages. It is tearing apart children. Spiritual victories are no longer won. They're not even expected. And the church resembles the world in so many areas. So as a result, what needs to happen? Well, here's what needs to happen. It needs to be confronted. I don't mean in a harsh, mean-spirited, overbearing manner. But it does need to be addressed, does it not? So somebody says, Brother Kyle, why do you make an issue of the home? Because we've got homes that are struggling right now. Brother Kyle, why do you make such an issue about a person's personal walk with the Lord? Because it is such an issue in our own church right now. Brother Kyle, why do you make an issue about, uh, about the addictions and things of that nature? Because it needs to be addressed because we don't know what's going on behind closed doors when people leave the church house doors. Why, why do you mention this issue and this issue and this issue and why do you touch on this so often? Because it's still so prevalent even in our own church family. I'm just saying... When the issues are there, they have to be confronted. Now let's just be very honest about this. And again, this ties into what the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers of Corinth. Whenever the Word of God confronts us, what should it produce? It should produce repentance. Are we hearing this? You know, it's kind of like this. If, if you're the individual that's not really taking your spiritual life serious, and, and you would have to be honest and say, Brother Kyle, I just kind of go through the motions, and, and, and my spiritual life is empty, and it's dry, and, and it's not at all what it's supposed to be, and it's been that way for a while. You know what the preaching of God really ought to produce in your life? It ought to produce some repentance on your part. There ought to be a change of mind towards your apathy and your coldness and your hard-heartedness and your stiff-neckedness. Listen, there ought to be some repentance that would change how you're living. The, the confrontation with the Word of God should produce some repentance. The preaching of the Word of God ought to produce some repentance in our homes. 
It ought to cause some men to say, I'm taking my role serious as a man. It ought to make a woman say, I'm going to take serious my role as the wife and submit. And and I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be. The Word of God confronting us ought to lead to some repentance. It just ought to. The preaching of the Word of God. It ought to produce some repentance in what we're still struggling with and what we're still dealing with. It ought to be that we're saying, you know, I'm not going to get used to this sin in my life. I'm going to address it. (laughs) I'm going to stop trying to mask it right before I walk into church on Wednesday nights. I'm going to stop looking at it on my phone. I'm going to stop looking at it on my computer. I'm going to stop taking it in and it hurting my testimony. Listen, I'm I'm going to change my thinking toward this and change my actions because the Word of God confronts us on the matter. The preaching of the Word of God ought to lead us to repentance. Word of God ought to lead us to repentance when we finally have enough self-awareness to say, you know what, it's not just them struggling with it, it's me struggling with it. (laughs) It's not just them. Lord, is it I? It, It is me. Goodness, I don't want to stay like that. I want to see some things changed in my life. The preaching of the Word of God ought to produce some repentance. But you know what? We're living in a culture where it seldom does these days. You say, well, well, Brother Kyle, that's kind of a harsh statement to make. I'm just saying... You don't witness a whole lot of repentance taking place these days. People saying, you know, I'm changing my thinking about that. And as I change my thinking about that, I'm going to change my actions. And I'm not living that way anymore, and we're not living that way anymore, and we're making some changes in our family I'm not doing that anymore. That's not happening in abundance these days. Can I be honest with you tonight for just a moment? That kind of leads to a burden the spiritual leader has to carry. Now, I know this isn't about me, but I'm wanting to show us something that the Apostle Paul did not shy away from communicating. He was carrying a burden because of how the believers of Corinth were living, and he wasn't sure how they were going to respond to the letter that was sent. I just want to be honest with you tonight and say this. There is a burden, 
and I know this is going to sound so self-serving, but there is a burden carried by your pastor when there is a lack of repentance when the word of God is preached and specific issues are dealt with. This may sound critical. This may sound self-righteous. I know it can be misinterpreted a dozen different ways if somebody wants to do this. Just going to be honest with you. I shared with Susie the other day, something came up in conversation. I said, you know, here's what has become evident over the last several years. There's really not much of a spiritual drive with that person. Just, just I've watched for years. There's no spiritual drive. I don't know what else could be preached. I don't know what else could be said. I don't know what else could be brought before our church family to, to kick us into gear. I, I don't know. But it's a burden. It's a burden. When you see the family issues that you know are present, but you just have to smile and act like you're ignorant of what the family issues are. You say, well, Brother Kyle, that's not your burden to have to deal with. That's not your responsibility. No, as the shepherd of the flock, as the pastor of the church, it's a burden I have to carry. Well, Brother Kyle, don't you worry about us. We'll be fine without your concern. I'm sorry, that'd be like your kids telling you, don't worry about me. You can't just turn it off. You say, you're looking at me like one of your kids. No, I'm just trying to get us to understand that there's a relationship there that you can't just decide, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about it anymore and not worry. It's a burden. It's a burden. Whenever you know that vices and addictions and sin still has a grip on the life of a person and they don't care about it. They're not worried about it. They're not worried about what it does to their testimony. They're not worried about what it does to, to those around them. They're not worried about what it's doing to them personally. And I'm supposed to just be silly and <laughs> bless you brother, bless you sister. It doesn't happen that way. Again, somebody says, it's not about you. I understand. Paul's just conveying his heart to the believers. Listen, I wrestled with this because of the fears and because of what I was wrestling with and, and the struggle of everything. It, it, it was a burden for him. I, I'm just saying, it's a burden sometimes. To know that so much of the same junk going on out there is happening right here. It's a burden. You know what would be a blessing? And I don't mean this the way it'll probably sound, so, so don't take this and run with this out of context and, and be upset about it. But you know what would be a tremendous blessing? Is if we as God's people decided, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to start striving to live like God's people. And that's what we're going to do. 
You know, kind of like that personnel issue that you've had to deal with. You know, you say, hey, it'd be nice if you all just acted like the employees you're supposed to be. I'm just saying from the spiritual perspective, from the church perspective, it would just do a world of, of good if we as God's people just said, you know what, we're done playing the games. We're done saying amen at all the amen points. And, and, and we're done just wearing the smile because that's what we're supposed to do on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're going to get serious about who we are as Christians. Christians as children of God. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, we're going to repent. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, we're going to try to make some things right. And, and, and again, I, I know that this is not the most important part of the message. I get it. But can I just tell you what it would do for the heart of your pastor? If some victories got won in our church, the burden would be lifted, and there would be some serious rejoicing. It would just be one of those things where it's like, man, that is awesome. They've stopped playing games and they finally admitted there's a problem. They've stopped just going through the motions and they've admitted something needs to change. They're they're no no longer relying on, on yesteryear's victories. They're still pressing ahead today for some victories. Do you realize what kind of joy that could produce? So I don't care about making you happy in the first place. I understand, but you ought to care about making the Lord happy. And if the byproduct is your pastor gets to rejoice with you, then that's not a bad byproduct. But it goes back to this, this thought, this principle... Kind of like the ladies weren't a bit worried about my brother and your personnel issues weren't worried about you. You know what's sad? Many people in church aren't really worried about anybody but themselves. They're not worried about how it's affecting themselves, how it might be affecting their spouse how it might be affecting their children, how it might be affecting their parents, how it might be affecting their friends. And they're certainly not worried about how it's affecting their pastor. That says much about our selfishness. When we're not worried about anyone but ourselves. I'm just saying tonight, it's not just our church. It is the church, for lack of better words. It is the church as a whole that is terribly, terribly, terribly messed up. And the preaching of the Word of God ought to drive us to repentance. But that's a choice we have to make. The byproduct byproduct of it is helpful. But until you start thinking outside of yourself, you're not going to worry about anyone else. I'm asking you tonight, when was the last time your heart was so soft 
that the Holy Spirit had the freedom and the liberty to address anything and you had the willingness to address it then. We're pretty good about pushing it off and not dealing with it and not worrying about it. There ought to be consistent signs of repentance. Understanding this really could help the whole situation if I would be willing to do so. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. God, I pray that you'd help us to let you speak to our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us to what extent we have a heart that is quick to repent whenever we know we're living in sin. God, I pray that you'd help us to not excuse it. I pray that you'd help us to not rationalize it, that you'd help us to not dismiss it. But Lord, that you'd help us to repent when we're confronted, to make things right with an understanding that it could actually be a help to others if we would repent. I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.